Alright, hello everybody, today is Friday, another Anything Goes Friday. Welcome to the show. And just one quick announcement before we begin. There has been a major development in the true crime world. The murder of Nancy Benelak from 1970 has more or less been solved to most people's satisfaction, and that has been done using DNA, and I will do a larger response to that on Monday, because every Monday is Zodiac Monday here on BBOR, and Nancy Benelak is viewed as a possible Zodiac killer victim, but I think all of that is changing now. And if you are listening to this at some point in the future, I will invite you to check out the Zodiac Killer News Report from August 15th of 2022, where I'll be discussing the murder of Nancy Benelak. To talk about today's subject, Maria Iannuzzi passed away in 1979, and last year on the channel I talked very frequently about her case, and I had been meaning to do an anniversary episode on August 12th of last year, but the date simply escaped me, and I was looking at the calendar last week and I saw that it was August 4th and just about a week away from the anniversary of Maria Iannuzzi's passing, so I thought, why not do it this year? So this is not going to be an episode that is going to reinvent the wheel or share an enormous amount of groundbreaking discoveries, but rather it is done in a way of tribute and saying, rest in peace to Maria and Uzi. And there are two major competing theories that people try to push with her case. And that is that, number one, she was murdered by the serial killer Leonard Paradiso, who was nicknamed the Quahog, and he was even convicted for her murder in 1984. And the second one is that she was actually murdered by somebody in her inner social circle. Perhaps that's even somewhat of an understatement. The second competing theory is that she was murdered by her own boyfriend at the time, David Doyle. And I'll talk about some of the discussions that people have had about Maria Iannuzzi's murder in this episode, and you can respond in the comment section down below about what you think happened, or just share anything at all about the true crime world and um, how you think Maria Iannuzzi's case is connected to some other true crime cases. Okay, so the first point is, let's look at some of the timeline events that happened. On August 11th of 1979, there was a wedding that took place, and Maria Iannuzzi was attending the wedding with her then-boyfriend, David Doyle, and he ripped his pants. I believe that's actually at the reception when that happened, and he was very upset about that, and there's um, some back-and-forth discussions that go on, and somebody encourages David Doyle even to leave the wedding reception. But Maria Iannuzzi wants to stay around, and there's going to be a house party later on, which Marie then attends. Now, this is the part that gets important for the theory of the prosecution. Marie is driven from that house party to a place called the Cardinales Nest Bar in Revere, Massachusetts. She is driven there by a woman named Candy Wyant, who was the girlfriend of the prosecution suspect, Leonard Paradiso. Now, she is dropped off at the Cardinale's Nest Bar, and then Candy Wyant drives back to the house party, and then at some point later on, they realize that there are these items in the car that they believe were the 
items that belong to Marie Iannuzzi. So what they decide to do is they want to drive back to the Cardinale's nest bar at some time in the early a.m. hours. Now it's past midnight at that point, and they want to get in touch with Marie. They didn't have cell phones at the time, and they want to return them. But this is something that is very important. Maria Iannuzzi was seen with Leonard Paradiso on the night that she disappeared before her murder. And Leonard Paradiso was actually seen holding the door for Maria Iannuzzi so she could exit the Cardinale's nest bar, which, as I understand, was rather close to her home. Because that was one of my initial questions. Well, okay, well, if... um. They didn't take her home, then how did she get home? And as I understand, it was only a couple of blocks. It was def it would have been walking distance to get to her home. But Marie leaves the bar, and she's never seen alive again by anyone who was able to corroborate any type of story. I'm sure the real killer knew what happened to Marie Iannuzzi. Later that day, okay, we're going in about 12 hours into the next day. In the late afternoon, Maria Iannuzzi's body is found on the banks of the Pines River in Massachusetts. Now, I apologize for misstating this in a couple of previous episodes. I had said the Pine River, which is much farther north in New England. This is the Pines River, which is a tributary of the Saugus River in Massachusetts. And she was found not wearing shoes, not wearing stockings. She was wearing a one-piece leotard, and she had been strangled to death with her own scarf, which had been tied into a double knot. Now, I talked about this detail very frequently ever since I learned about the murder of Marcia King, who was previously known as the Buckskin Girl, until what? DNA allowed for her identification, and that was discovered back in 2018. A lot of things can happen with DNA. So, if someone is found in a different location, but they are not wearing shoes, that can suggest that they were murdered by someone who was in their inner circle. They were murdered in a domestic setting. I mean, some people walk outside without shoes on. That definitely is possible. But more often than not, that suggests that someone is in a place that is familiar to them. Usually it means that they're, they were at home and some type of argument kicked off and then somebody responded in a very destructive way and that led to the person's murder. Absolutely terrible things. But though that is something that people talk about when it comes to psychological profiling or doing more or less what is called a psychological autopsy, trying to think about what someone was thinking or the movements that they made in their day prior to the time when they were murdered. And it's called a psychological autopsy because we do not have the ability to actually ask the person. We have to try our best to recreate what they would have been thinking and what they would have been doing before they were murdered. So some of the points that are in favor of David Doyle, Marie's boyfriend, of being the killer are that, number one, he was seen with cuts and scratches on his body, which he said that he got from a cat. However, the story is that the cat had run away previously, and they didn't even have a cat at the time. He then skipped town and was actually apprehended in Newark, New Jersey, for trying to steal something off of a luggage cart, and he was just trying to get as far away from the scene as possible. And a third point is 
that David Doyle had allegedly, I repeat, allegedly threatened to kill Marie at one point. And there's also another story that Marie Iannuzzi was having another relationship with a different male named Eddie Fisher, and Maria had had consensual sexual intercourse prior to her murder, and for the longest time I thought that that was with David Doyle, just like before the wedding or the reception, but maybe it was with Eddie Fisher, but that's kind of beside the point. I mean, the reason I brought up the consensual activity was, to the best of anyone's knowledge and the sources that have been made available to the general public, Marie was not raped. But um, even if you were to Google this, you will find that she was ch that the um, perpetrator Leonard Paradiso was charged with the sexual assault of Maria Anusia comes up at almost the top of the Google search results. And does this suspicious behavior not suggest that David Doyle had something that he was running from and he was a likely suspect? And as I said, Marie was strangled with her own scarf and it was tied in a double knot. And I didn't. I mean, still to this day, I'm not completely sure if that meant that the knot was already tied for fashionable purposes and the killer just slid the knot up and uh, made it tighter to the point where it asphyxiated her or that somebody actually tied the double knot. Because if it were tied by the killer and it was just in an argument that got heated and got out of control, that seems to me like a very bizarre thing to do. I mean, I mean, you must have seen somebody wear a scarf that's been tied in a double knot at some point, but um, usually those aren't um, the ones that you can slide too easily. I mean, I used to wear a scarf tied in a double knot, and it definitely doesn't seem like something that someone would do out of rage, unless it's that um, way that it can slide. But um, you can weigh in in the comments section down below. Do you think that that's something that a killer would do out of rage? Because when they're trying to implicate David Doyle as the assailant. It's just that, that they got into another argument, they had a very rocky relationship, and he responded in a destructive way, but this time he took it too far. It, it wasn't just a threat, it wasn't just, it wasn't just an argument or a fight or a back and forth where there's even some domestic violence involved, and I shouldn't um, say it like that because domestic violence is a very serious thing but that's the whole point it wasn't just a domestic violence incident he took it to the point where she was murdered i mean do you think that that's what happened well the alternative is that leonard paradiso was convicted for maria Iannuzzi's murder the authorities absolutely insist that they got the right person they do not believe any of these alternative theories out there but this is important because the authorities believe that Marie Iannuzzi was murdered by the same person who murdered a woman named Joan Webster in 1981. Now, again, there are conflicting theories in that case, because some people, such as the writer Gareth Penn, believe that Joan Webster was murdered by the Zodiac Killer, not Leonard the Quahog Paradiso, but the Zodiac himself. And he has explanations that he has provided in his book, Time 17. And the authorities also absolutely dispel any type of connection between the Zodiac Killer and Joan Webster. They believe that Leonard Paradiso was responsible. So let's hear a little bit about Leonard Paradiso from an article from the Boston Herald. And this one was written by Laurel J. Sweet, and it was published in 2018. 
He's taken a lot of secrets to his grave, said ex-prosecutor Timothy Burke, who believes that Leonard Paradiso, though he was never charged, killed a half a dozen women between 1974 and 1981, including a Harvard graduate student named Joan Webster. Now, you may have heard about never charged. Leonard Paradiso was convicted for the murder of Maria Iannuzzi in 1979, and the death of Joan Webster was attributed to Paradiso. Webster's long-suffering father, George Webster, would only say of Paradiso's demise, he's gone, life goes on. Paradiso passed away in 2008 at the age of 65 from cancer. Ironically, a true crime tome by Tim Burke is his book, The Paradiso Files, Boston's Unknown Serial Killer. Diane Whiffen, a spokeswoman for the State Department of Corrections, confirmed that Leonard Paradiso died at 9.35 a.m. in 2008 and that he was in a correctional unit at Jamaica Plain Hospital. Lindbergh believes that Leonard Paradiso was driving a gypsy cab and picked up Joan Webster at Logan Airport on November 28th of 1981 and crushed her skull on his boat, which was named the Malafemina, after threatening her with a toy gun. He fractured her skull, and her body was then found nine years later in 1990. Her purse turned up, behind a lobster pond in Saugus, 100 feet from where Maria Iannuzzi's remains were unearthed. Other unsolved murders Burke suggests Paradiso may have committed include the 1974 deaths of Lois Santafonte, Kim Benoit, and Kathy Williams, and the 1975 deaths of Holly Davidson and Melody Stakevich. Tim Burke hounded him for years, Michael Paradiso said. I feel awful that the poor Websters lost a child. My heart goes out to them. They've been victimized, and my family's been victimized, but Burke persisted. And that is the conclusion of the Boston Herald article. So, again, another listener to this program, Apex Prowler, wrote into the show on an episode that I did, um, talking about the serial killer Leonard Paradiso. And he said that after reading Tim Burke's books, he was 100% convinced the Quahog was guilty as sin for the murders that he was accused of. And Tim Burke even provided a statement for Black Box for online radio at one point, saying that there's no doubt in his mind that Leonard Paradiso was responsible for the murders of Maria Iannuzzi and Joan Webster. And if you were to read Gareth Penn's book, Time 17, you will find an almost identical statement, even though they were made 35 years apart, more or less, maybe 34, 35 years apart, the authorities have not budged at all when it comes to making a statement about the case of Joan Webster or the case of Marie Iannuzzi. But with the story of Joan Webster, I would like to point out that there are a lot of conflicting reports in that one as well. Joan Webster was abducted on November 28th of 1981. She was waiting in the taxi line in Boston, Massachusetts at Logan International Airport, as you heard, and then she has some type of conversation with a man who had rather disheveled hair and a beard, and he got her to get out of the taxi line and then to go into a car with him. From that point onward, Joan Webster was never seen alive again, and then this whole story about how she was murdered on the boat, the Malafemina, well, the, the researcher, Eve Carson, who is actually the sister-in-law of Joan Webster, heavily disputes that by saying that that is impossible. She went back through the paper trail and found that the boat, the Malafemina, 
wasn't even afloat in 1981 on November 28th of that year. I mean, I got a little bit backwards there because that's important. Her whole point is that Leonard Paradiso sank the boat in the summer of 1981, and it was underwater six months before the abduction of Joan Webster. And other people have heavily challenged um, the authorities' claim that Leonard Paradiso was responsible for the Webster murder. One person is Ray Grant, author of Zodiac Killer Solved, as well as the novel Zodiac Killer Dreams, who simply said that it is just completely implausible that Joan Webster, a 25-year-old grad student from Harvard, would have gotten into a black gypsy taxi, an illegal taxi, with some type of fish-smelling clam digger named Leonard Paradiso, who is a very imposing figure, well over six feet tall and uh, well over 200 pounds. And again, they're trying to paint this guy out to be some type of criminal thug, and he's just going to casually approach a woman at night, mind you, in a taxi line, like, hey, baby, want to save a few bucks on the taxi ride? Come on, get in a cab with me. Although that was a, um, that was probably not the way that people in Boston, Massachusetts talk, but I haven't quite learned how to do that yet. Maybe I'll learn how to do a Boston accent if I'm watching a few more programs such as Ray Donovan. So the important point is, they just think it's highly unlikely that Joan Webster would have ever gotten into the taxi cab with Leonard Paradiso. But here's the difference between the Webster murder and the Iannuzzi murder. Leonard Paradiso is one of the last people to have seen Marie Iannuzzi alive, whereas I still have not heard a single, a single connection between Leonard Paradiso and Joan Webster. And as you heard, the whole thing about how they made up this story of, okay, he abducted her from the taxi line, he brought her onto his boat, and he was planning to sexually assault her, and he struck her in the back of the head. And then the whole time that boat was actually underwater because it sank in an insurance fraud. I am just um, really, really not convinced of that. And I think it's a much easier case to prove that there was this type of connection between Paradiso and Iannuzzi because they even would have been in the same vehicle on that night. Even if you look at that official narrative that, okay, Paradiso's girlfriend drove Marie Iannuzzi to the Cardinale's nest bar, and then Joe goes back to the house party, then drives back to the bar to bring Marie her stuff. Well, that means that Leonard Paradiso and Marie Iannuzzi would have shared a vehicle at some point. All types of possibilities on how and why forensic material could have taken place for somebody could have hatched a plan to commit that particular murder. As far as the observations of Joan Webster's sister-in-law, Eve Carson, go, there are some that I agree with and some that I disagree with. She is the author of Mommy's a Mole, Whale of a Tale, which is a story about not only Joan Webster but also connections to the CIA, and she also recently released a new book on Joan Webster within the last several months. So I think that I really appreciate her firsthand connections to Joan Webster, as I said, her former sister-in-law, but also she has made some bold statements that the authorities knew the correct manner of Joan Webster's death years before her body was discovered. Joan was abducted on November 28th of 1981, and her remains were found 
in the spring of 1990 in Hamilton, Massachusetts. She most likely died from blunt force trauma, although she may have experienced some other type of physical attack. It's hard to say because her body had been in the ground for so long. And here's an important point. As I said, Maria Iannuzzi was found strangled with her own scarf tied in a double knot, not wearing shoes, but on the banks of the Pine River. Pines River, excuse me. Pines River. And the body was not buried, not placed into a trash bag. If you're going to say that it's the same person, those are very different methods of disposal, and that is definitely not consistent with the typical behavior of a, of a serial killer. But the first point is that about this blunt force trauma issue, I had always thought that it was much more specific, like they had identified a particular murder weapon, but I think that that's simply what she means, that the authorities had talked about their theory that Leonard Paradiso had struck Joan Webster in the back of the head with a whiskey bottle, and it turns out that maybe she wasn't struck with a whiskey bottle, it was a heavier object, like a tire iron, as um, Eve Carson has hypothesized, and that's something she shared with me in an email. Well, just simply saying that a crime may have taken place with blunt force trauma, that's not exactly reading into somebody's mind or something like that, or knowing some type of exclusive privileged information. I mean, that could have just been some type of hunch that somebody had that they got lucky with, or maybe that is something that they've experienced with other true crime cases. Definitely not very precise. One of the bolder claims made by Eve Carson was that Leonard Paradiso may have never actually murdered anyone. He was definitely a criminal, and he definitely did lots of very, very heinous actions. I even talked about how he, he committed insurance fraud by sinking his boat, the Malafemina. And I, again, that's something that is a very bold statement, and it's heavily disputed, as I told you by some other people, most notably Tim Burke, the prosecutor, as well as someone who has gone through Tim Burke's findings and agrees with it. But I think that that is one that is a little bit difficult to accept. But the challenge is that Leonard Paradiso was an unsavory citizen. He was a criminal. Why not put him behind bars for life? Because he was better off in jail than on the streets. But here's something very interesting about Paradiso. He absolutely denied all involvement with Joan Webster's murder. And this is a little bit like rumor spreading, but they're saying that Paradiso was offered like a deal. They'll give him something like a private cell, give him, you know, anything that he wanted. He just confessed to the murder of Joan Webster, but he maintained his innocence until he was dead, as you heard in 2008 at the age of 65 from cancer. But if Leonard Paradiso wasn't responsible for Joan Webster's murder, then who was? I encountered a theory that I did not uh, know about last year when I was doing my series on Joan Webster, or if I did, um, it has slipped my mind. And I would like to give credit to this person by name, but I can simply call them Rubislaw32. That's the way it's written out on a forum. Because as I said, there were three conflict. Well, there are two major theories with Joan Webster's murder, that it was the Zodiac Killer and that it was the serial killer Leonard Paradiso, but Rubislaw 32 has introduced a third possibility. To fill in a few details, in strictly precise form, Joan Webster had flown from Logan Airport to Newark Airport to be with her family 
parents, George and Eleanor, sister Anne, brother Steve, and his wife Eve Carson, for a Thanksgiving weekend get-together. Her family was anticipating that they would be meeting Joan Webster's new boyfriend for the first time, but unfortunately he had been given excuses to Joan prior to her journey and did not turn up for the family gathering. Joan's family were never able to know the boyfriend's identity, although Joan had intimidated, I think they, I think it means insinuated, it says intimidated, it must mean insinuated, that he was significantly older than she was. Joan was 25 years old. Joan's decision to cut her short family gathering by one day and fly back to Cambridge, home of Harvard University, appeared to be for work reasons, but the reality seems to have actually been to meet with her boyfriend. It now appears almost certain that this boyfriend, the bearded man, met Joan at Logan Airport with both suitcases and attempted to acquire a taxi. The bearded man lost patience with the first taxi driver when finding himself unable to fit two large suitcases in the boot of the taxi, or the trunk as us Americans call it. The bearded man insisted that they attempt to hire another taxi. That is the last time that the public was aware of Joan Webster's whereabouts, but it is assumed that Joan and the bearded man did leave Logan Airport together. There had been some semblance of an altercation between the first taxi driver and the bearded man, and the composite drawing of the bearded man is largely based on the description from the taxi driver at close distance to the bearded man. Now, obviously, um, some people do not accept that, but what do you think? Do you think that's a likely story? The second story is that the bearded man is actually Gareth Penn, author of Time 17, who went on to become a Zodiac killer suspect himself, and that, um, I mean, there's also a Zodiac killer connection to Michael O'Hare, but maybe even a more famous Zodiac connection to Michael O'Hare being the murderer of Joan Webster. And a third one that was proposed by Eve Carson, as I said, sister-in-law of Joan Webster and a woman who has two books out on Joan's murder, has suggested that that is actually George Webster, Joan's uh, own father, that he um, flew back for an unrelated reason. He was involved with the murder of Joan Webster. Now, I had so much trouble talking about that last year because even though I wanted to help Eve Carson share her material, I was just really trying to um, wrap my head around the idea that Joan Webster's own father would have set her up for murder. Now, things like that do happen, and as Eve Carson points out, George Webster did have connections to the CIA, and I even did an episode talking about the Webster's dark family secret, which I'm not even sure what it would have been, but it's rather in Eve Carson's hypothesis that the Webster family may have had a very dark and sinister secret, which Joan had knowledge of, and somebody in the family, maybe even George Webster, would have gone to great lengths to silence Joan, even if it meant taking the life of his own daughter. And even as I say those words now, something about that just feels wrong to me. And I want to be very, very clear. That was something that was shared to me by Eve Carson. And last year on the channel, I really wanted to give her a chance to share her ideas and to voice her theories. And I, the one who voiced her theories, and I do not regret that for a second, but during most of the um, recordings, I really found that it wasn't my analysis so much as it was simply reading off and articulating her analysis, which there's nothing wrong with. That would mean that in both of these cases, the murder of Marie Iannuzzi and the murder of Joan Webster, the alternatives to any type of serial killer arrangement is that 
It was the boyfriend, David Doyle in the first one, and this unidentified older boyfriend in the second one. Now, with the murder of Maria Iannuzzi, I think Eve Carson makes a very compelling case that Maria Iannuzzi was murdered by David Doyle. The whole concept of, he has scratches on his face that came from a cat that had already run away, that he tried to skip town, he tried to dodge any type of potential questioning. I mean, that really makes him look very guilty. But on the other hand, Leonard Paradiso is seen leaving with Marie Iannuzzi, and um, I am conflicted on that one. I would definitely lean toward David Doyle as a particular suspect, but we also have to bear in mind that Paradiso was convicted for Maria Iannuzzi's murder. As I said, I'm you can go back and forth on this all day long, but as I wanted to be very clear, I think that Eve Carson's case for David Doyle being a suspect is a little more convincing. As far as Joan Webster, um, I don't really find any of the explanations super convincing. Leonard Paradiso, the Zodiac Killer, and the family set up to cover up some type of dark, forbidden secret. I mean, if anything, if we had more information about this boyfriend, then he could rise to the top of the list, and that would make a little bit more sense about why she's just leaving the taxi line with some um, unknown male, especially at night. And um, I can't really say too much other than that. But what do you think about this? And I really would like to know your response to the challenge question. What do you believe happened to Marie Iannuzzi? And out of those two explanations, what makes sense to you? Do you believe that she was killed by the serial killer Leonard Paradiso, the man who was perhaps the last male to have seen her alive? Or do you believe that it's something to the contrary? If she only lived like two blocks from the bar where she was at, well, did she just say goodbye to Candy Wyant and Paradiso and then go back home and get into some type of argument with David Doyle and that she was murdered and driven to the Pines River where her remains were left behind? As I said, she wasn't even wearing shoes. But, you know, um, about that, she was at a wedding reception and lots of women wear high heels to events like that, and then they take them off later on at, say, a house party, which she was at again as well. I mean, women take off their high heels once it becomes a little bit uncomfortable. I think the female listeners to this program will know exactly what I'm talking about. And then, like, which one makes sense to you? And, like, really weigh out the info. Do you think that she was murdered by this man that she didn't know very well, but was using her vehicle for the night? By, by that, I mean she was using his vehicle, I misspoke. Or do you think that she went home and got into an argument with her boyfriend? And how do you respond to the differences in the disposal of the victims? I mean, whoever murdered Joan Webster was very careful about trying to hide her remains. She was placed into a trash bag, buried in the ground, and her remains weren't discovered for nine years. Maria Iannuzzi was discovered within 12 hours because she was on the banks of the river and she wasn't wearing shoes. She was wearing a one-piece leotard and a scarf around her neck. I mean, someone went to very great lengths to hide Joan Webster's remains, whereas with Maria Iannuzzi, 
She was not, and Maria Inuzi was strangled, Joan Webster was struck in the back of the head with a blunt object. Do those things suggest that there were different killers? Share anything that you want in the comment section down below, and again, this episode was mostly just meant to um, discuss Marie and Joan's cases, and really say a big rest in peace to Maria Inuzi and Joan Webster as well. This was just to commemorate the um, very, very um, sad way that they passed away, but to remember them all the same, because that's what it's about, remembrance. And no matter what, these women did not deserve to die this way, so I guess we will just have to say another rest in peace and on to another year. What do you think happened? And share anything you'd like in the comments section down below. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. And there was always blackboxnid88 on Instagram, and I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.